Well, good morning again. I brought uh, with me this morning the one magazine that I subscribe to. I, I receive other ones like Junior Hockey Magazine and Golf Digest. I have no idea why I get those because I'm not interested in hockey and I don't play golf. But there's one magazine I do wish to get and I do subscribe to. It's called The Week. Um, and it says that, that it's the best of the U.S. and international media. So a summary of all the things going on all around the world. And, and when I read this magazine, it comes on Saturdays. This is the one from eight days ago. When I read this magazine and read about all that's going on in the world, I realize that there's a lot of worry right now. There's a lot of anxiety in the system right now. So they have a, a couple pages here that's the world at a glance. Okay? And, they, and they have just one paragraph highlights of things going on all around the world. And so you read these two pages, and, and this is from eight days ago. You read that France is now starting a program to, to fight homegrown terrorism because they figure they have 8,000 people in France who have been trained in terrorism. So they're starting a program to fight against terrorism. You read a paragraph about in Syria, U.S. and Russian forces are now making food drops into cities that are, are under siege from President Assad, who is, who is not allowing even food or medicine in, uh, even though uh, civilians are the ones being affected. And the next paragraph talks about the Philippines. They elected a brand new president, right? And this president is promising to bring back, bring back the death penalty for crimes like... Uh, like theft and robbery and drug use. And if you do more than one crime, he's, he's promising that he'll find a way to hang you twice. In Kenya, the next paragraph says they're closing the largest Somali refugee camp. 500,000 people have been living there. Started in 1992. They're going to disband this refugee camp and send them all back to Somalia where, the, where they're afraid that the terrorist group Al-Shabaab is waiting for them either to recruit them or to kill them. But this refugee camp will be done. Okay, next paragraph. Venezuela. Economic crisis in Venezuela is getting so bad that people going to the hospital are dying at the hospital because they run out of power, the electricity gets shut off, and their respirators shut down. And um, they don't have running water all the time. They do not have enough money to buy beds. There's not enough beds for everybody who's sick. They don't have enough money to buy soap. So there's not cleanliness. They don't have enough money to buy medicine. This is all before the Egyptian airline crash. It didn't make this issue. And they're saying terrorism, probably. They don't know yet, but they're wondering. It, that's anxiety in the system. And, th and then they have a section about, about what's going on here in the United States. And most of it is about the election. Talk about anxiety in the system, right? It's all there. You have one side saying, saying you know, if you want America to be great again, you better elect me because it's falling apart. This whole country is falling apart and it'll fall apart even more if you don't elect me. The other side is saying, the other side is saying that if you elect the other person, World War III's on the way. Not very good options there, right? There's anxiety all over in this system, right? Watch the news, listen, listen to the radio. You can't help but be afraid, right? You can't help but worry. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, it sure seems like there's a lot more worrying about the future than celebrating bravery or heroism of the past. So I read this and I think about it, and I realize that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to take a different perspective. 
right? We, we need to turn off the news every once in a while. We need to set aside these news magazines that instill fear in us. And for a moment, maybe more than a moment, we need to open this book instead. We need to open God's word instead because God has a message for us and our nation and each one of us right now for this time and for what we're experiencing today. But take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, page 527 in the Bibles in front of you. And people who think that this book is an ancient book that's obsolete for today surely haven't been paying much attention. They haven't read it lately. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that, that there's nothing new under the sun. And Psalm 2 is really proof of that. You see, in this psalm, Psalm 2, it was written thousands of years ago in the midst of a political season... That's a lot like what we're experiencing right now. Now, of course, Israel was not a democracy. They weren't holding elections. Israel's a monarchy. It was a nation ruled by a royal family. There's a king, sometimes a queen. But even monarchies have these moments where they transition power, right? And those moments of transition cause anxiety and worry in the system. You see... In this time, Israel is a world power, not, like, not unlike the United States. And in those eras, to be a world power meant that you have nations under you, you have people submissive to you. And, and when the crown got passed down from father to son or mother to daughter, when there's a transition of power within the government, it was a perfect time for revolt. It was the perfect time to test the resolve and, and the strength of this new young king or queen. It was the perfect time to kindle political anxiety and to inject fear into the system. And it's in the midst of this political transition and uncertain future that Israel is experiencing at this moment that God gives us Psalm 2, which fits so well for today. For the anxiety and the worry that we're feeling. Listen to what God says in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers gather together against the Lord. And against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say. And throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in anger and terrifies them in wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the, kid, the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you have to picture the psalm, it's coronation time, right? It's transition time in the political system and, and anxiety is running full force. 
Right? The, first three, the first three verses of the psalm make it clear that there's anxiety, there's worry, there's questions about the future because there's rumors of rebellion. There's rumors of violence on the way. And so the people in Israel are scared of what's going to happen. And I think some of them are even planning on moving to Canada if the right king doesn't work out the way that they wish for this king to work out. Who knows? Right? And these verses give a clear picture of all this anxiety in the system. Nations are conspiring. People are plotting. The opposition, it says, are, are making political alliances to secure their own strength and their own power. They're taking their stand, verse 2 tells us, against the Lord and against his anointed one. And this newly crowned king of Israel would have heard these words as an affirmation of God's calling on his life to be king. He is God's anointed one, right? He is the one that God has chosen to be his earthly representative. He's the one who's been granted power to rule by God Almighty. And there's some truth to that, right? If you go to the New Testament, you can hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, he commands us in Romans 13. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Peter goes on to echo those, that very same thought. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to king as supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Okay, we, don't, we don't always have to agree with everything that our leaders say. We have to recognize that they're established by God and we're called to respect and honor them, to discern how God is working through them. Right, but, but before we let this newly crowned king, or for us in November, this newly elected president, before we let them claim the right as God's anointed one, we need to recognize that Psalm 2 is looking way beyond whatever powerful earthly political leader there might be. Because when you look closer at that word anointed one, which is in capitals in my, in my Bible, Right? You see something much more profound than a political statement here. There's a deeper perspective to be seen. Because it's from this Hebrew word from, uh, for anointed one that we get the word Messiah. It's from the Greek word for anointed one that we get the word Christ. So this psalm is much, much more than than about and for this new king of Israel. These are words that are spoken about Jesus Christ, the true anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. This is a message about the ultimate king. And this rebellion that we're looking at, that we're hearing about, is a rebellion of the human heart against God. We aren't dealing with earthly politics in this psalm. We're dealing with divine politics. We're talking about God himself. And when we put our, our earthly power and rebellion and our earthly anxiety and our earthly worry on this divine level, the whole perspective of the message here changes, doesn't it? You and I, 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we claim to be people who believe, first of all, that God exists. And to believe that God is all-powerful and that God is all-good. Right? We are people who declare that nothing happens by chance. That nothing is out of God's control. We profess that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who never lets us down. We believe that God wins in the end, don't we? We believe that nothing can thwart the purposes and the plans of God, and at the end, he wins, and in the end, we win with him. And if that's truly what we believe, if those things I just listed off, if you can say, yep, yep, that's what I say I believe, if that's truly what we believe, and not just with our heads, not just with our mouths, but if we believe it deep in our hearts, then we can understand God's response here in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 2. Right? The, the people and the nations of the earth rebel against him. They doubt his power. They doubt his goodness. They're, they're trying to rewrite history here. And they convince themselves, they convince others all around them that they should be worried, that they should be afraid, they should be anxious for the future because, because it's beyond God's control and things are falling apart all around them. And this true and ultimate king, God enthroned in heaven, responds with complete and utter confidence. God's not afraid. God's not afraid of the future. He's not concerned that, uh-oh, he might lose now. Things aren't going the way he planned. He isn't anxious that he's not going to be able to keep his promises. He doesn't feel threatened by those who are rebelling against him. And if we truly believe that God is who we say he is, then we shouldn't be anxious and worried either. We shouldn't feel threatened either. God sees all those around who are rebelling, who are proclaiming doom. And the first thing he does is he laughs, it says. He laughs at their foolishness. It's a divine joke. It's a divine joke to think that any of us as humans, that even whole nations with all their power and might, would be able to stand up to God. And derail his plans. And shake his purposes. It makes God laugh. And after laughing, God rebukes them, the psalm says. He rebukes us. He corrects us. We hear God's own voice declaring a universal truth in verse 6. In verse 6, he declares, I have installed my king, capital K, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And he's not talking about the king of Israel. He's talking about the risen Jesus who has conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell, conquered Satan, who has risen from the dead and has taken his throne as king of kings and lord of lords and is reigning there right now. And it's Jesus himself speaking in verses 7, 8, and 9. And he's speaking about his coronation as God's king. We need to remember. 
We need to remember that kings and queens in this earth, in this world, they wield their power for a brief time, and then they die off. Presidents come and go every four to eight years. Political parties rise and political parties fall. Political systems take turns promising us utopia and then failing to make good on those promises. Whether it's communism or fascism or dictatorships or democracy, they end up failing. And whole nations themselves disappear off the face of the earth. And through all that upheaval and turmoil, you know what remains the same? Jesus is on his throne. God is in control. God's one true king, this world's one true king, our one true king still reigns. His purposes and plans remain true. His victory is still assured. He's still in control. And God is still in charge. And not only can we, as people of God, not forget that. But we need to declare that truth to this world around us that it's desperate for some word of hope. That's desperate for some assurance. That's desperate for some place where they can put their confidence. We know where that is. We need to model what it means to trust God. Many, many of you are familiar with Andy Stanley. Right, pastor at North Point Community Church in near Atlanta, Georgia. One of the top preachers and teachers of our day. If you haven't heard him before, you should really, really listen to him. And I want to share with you this morning just a brief clip of one of his messages. Um, it's one of his messages, messages that puts our anxiety for the future, especially in this ugly political season. Right? It puts it all in perspective. It's been making its rounds on social media for a while, so maybe you've seen it already, but it's worth watching for a second or third or fourth time. So listen just for three minutes to Andy Stanley this morning. Now, real quick, I want to say something to a couple groups, all right? First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system, you have fixed your eyes on a political leader, you have fixed your eyes on the good old days, you fixed your eyes on the economy, and you are, you are growing weary, and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are gonna take their cue from us, and here's the cue we're giving them. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the, you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government, and po government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word, faith. Confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Crucify him, game over, it's done, let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, 
The only reason you know who Pilate is is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control, God can be trusted, get involved in the political system, get involved in culture, get involved in your society, but you never fix your eyes there, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. God is in control. The future still belongs to him. And we need to live our lives with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because that's where hope comes from. When we live by faith, trusting in God for today, trusting in God for the future, then the anxiety of rebellion turns into the calm of submission. And the calm of submission to God leads to profound trust in him. And that's what the psalm tells us. The end of the psalm tells us how we live out our daily lives in the midst of this world that is filled with worry and warnings. How do we live differently if we are to be Jesus followers, if we truly believe that Jesus is king on his throne and we have our eyes fixed on him? What's different? Well, the psalm gives us three quick things, just briefly here. Three things to have in mind as we watch the news. As we, as we talk about politics, as we consider the state of the world and, and the future, as we live in this time. First of all, the psalm says, we must be serving the Lord daily. Serve the Lord. In other words, in other words know who the true king is and know where your hope for the world lies. Know where your hope for our nation lies. Know where hope for your life lies. It's in God. And so we serve him day in and day out. And so, yes, as Reformed Christians, which we are, we are called to actively engage in every aspect of life. That includes politics, be involved in politics, be involved in science, be involved in medicine, be involved in business, be involved in every part of life. But engage this world from a completely different perspective as we serve God. Right? So we don't, we aren't serving the Republican or the Democratic Party because that's where our hope lies. We're bringing Jesus, the hope of the world, into the political realm. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We aren't serving scientific progress and medical progress because we think that's the key to making this world whole again. Because science is where our ultimate hope lies. No, we serve in that area, we're serving God in that area, and we're bringing Jesus, the hope of the world, there. We aren't serving our company. We aren't working nine to five. We aren't building our business. We aren't, we aren't building our secure financial future because financial success and a healthy economy and a big savings account is where our hope lies. Instead, we are bringing Jesus the true hope of this world into the realm of business, into the realm of finance. Hope for your future, hope for our nation's future, hope for the future of this world comes from Jesus. So make sure wherever he has placed you in this world that you are serving him there. 
that you are working for his kingdom right there above all else. Serve the Lord daily. Secondly, the psalm tells us that with, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we rejoice. This is exactly the opposite of where we started, isn't it? This is the antidote to worry and anxiety. That, that worry and anxiety is being stoked and cultivated in our hearts and our minds. That's what, that's what the politicians want to do. They want to stoke worry and anxiety. And God says, no, rejoice. Rejoice instead. Instead of worrying about the future, we are commanded to rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus is king and that nothing can thwart his plan and nothing can stop his ultimate victory. If we truly believe that, if we believe what we say, that God is in control and the victory is his, then you and I can exhale. Whew. We can step to his side, stand with him, and standing with God at our side, we can set aside worry. We can set aside anxiety. And we can engage this world around us in confidence, in hopefulness, in joy, knowing God's in control. And finally, it says the third thing we do is we daily submit ourselves to God's kingdom plans and God's kingdom purposes. Right? We are constantly aware of the fact that we are above all else children of the King. We are children of King Jesus. That's what drives our daily decisions. That's what drives our daily actions, not only here at church and at home, but when we're making decisions for our business, we're children of the King. When we're when we're doing our banking, we're children of the king. When we're engaged with politics, we need to remember that we're children of the king. When we're studying at school, when we're planning, when we're voting, everything we filter through the reality that we are children of the king and we are growing God's kingdom. We're growing God's kingdom. So we need to ask ourselves, as we're making all these decisions in life, as day by day we're walking along, are we submitting to God's call to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him? Is that the filter we're using for our business decisions, for our political decisions, for our family decisions, for our financial decisions, for all of our decisions? Are we doing justly? Are we loving mercy? And are we walking humbly with our God? Do our thoughts, do our actions fit with God's plan and God's purposes? You know, as Andy, Andy Stanley so clearly declared, it's time for us to stop, stop scaring the children. Right? They're taking their cues from you and from me. Are we teaching them worry and fear and uncertainty? Or are we teaching them faith and trust and confidence in God? And now more than ever, as followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, which others view with despair, we must declare with joy and trust that our world 
belongs to God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, King of kings and Lord of lords, thank you for the joy that comes to our lives, for the assurance that comes to our lives, for the peacefulness that comes to our lives, knowing that you are in control. And honestly, sometimes we wonder. Sometimes we know that there's battles that we lose. But remind us that nothing will ever be able to thwart your purpose and your plans. Nothing will ever be able to take the ultimate victory away from you. Give us that kind of confidence. Give us that kind of assurance. Give us that kind of joy. And then give us the courage to speak that truth to this world that is so anxious, that is so filled with worry and needs a place to find rest and to find peace. May we point clearly to you. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And we recognize you as king of kings in our lives, in our nation, and in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take our offering this morning. Our offerings are for church ministries here at Ivanrest Church as we, as we reach out within this community and outside these walls to the world around us. Um, don't forget the connection card that's in your bulletin, both for prayer 